Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. The jazz legend Hoagie Carmichael had a song, Big Town Blues. The phrase that he sang in that song paints a vivid picture. He said, I'm in a bargain basement with a sidewalk skyline. <laughs> That's where we got the idea for the name of this podcast. And uh, it talks about uh, that song about coming to the city with dreams of living in a penthouse and instead living in a basement apartment. So the, the premise of this podcast is not how do we take a uh, penthouse view of the city, but how do we take a view of what God is doing on the streets of the city, that sidewalk skyline. Well, uh, the pastors that are being interviewed on uh, today's episode were in a panel at the Our City Toronto Conference, and um, back when uh, we were gathered at uh, City Centre Church, Jane and Finch, uh, we had uh, a few people that uh, got together. Dwayne Henry uh, is the host of uh, Conversation with Olu Jegade and Jesse Knight, both pastors at Christian Center Church, uh, Godfrey Adderley, uh, pastor at Stone Church in downtown Toronto, and uh, Joel Spiridigliosi. He's a regional director for Western Ontario District of Pentecostal Assemblies, and he works with uh, many pastors and ministries in the Toronto region. Uh, this is uh, just a, a, a session that's filled with um, great insight from some great practitioners. So without uh, further ado, let's look out the uh, window of this basement apartment and see what's on the sidewalk. All right. So we're really happy to have all of you. And in regards, because of the time that we have, what we're going to try to do, we've got six questions to go through. And... Um, we're going to, actually we've got five questions to go through, which is good. So because we've got four panelists, we're going to try, or they're going to try to make their answers as succinct as possible. Mm -hmm. We want to do that so that we have ample time at the end if you want to ask any questions, which I'm sure that you will. Okay? So we really appreciate each and every one of you being here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go, so I will start with, like I'll start with yourself, Olu, okay. and then as I start, like I'll say like, Olu, if you can answer this question, then we'll go down the line, and then I'll go next with so on and so forth each question, so that you guys aren't scrambling saying, well, who's gonna speak first, that sort of thing. Okay. All right, so Olu, we'll start with you, and then we'll go down the line. Tell us about your journey into loving the city. Uh, I came to Toronto uh, 30 years ago, Kind of stumbling for the words 30 years ago now and uh, just as a kind of a teenager and uh, young adult and uh, you know as I look back it's been a, it's been really people like uh, God has placed people you know I was overwhelmed big city I was a York student and um, and just uh, found the church the church is just uh, about a kilometer and a half from uh, York University and so that's kind of where my journey began uh, God just put awesome, amazing people in my life. Uh, pastor, the pastor here, uh, seasoned in the city, ministering in the city, uh, initiated me. Um, and, you know, I didn't know God was making me love the city at that time. Uh, uh, but I, I met families, invited me to their homes, 
Um, it's just it's just the theme has just been like key people. Um, and then of course, as through the seasons, I became a pastor here. Uh, start, and then God tugged at our hearts to uh, love the community even more and to love the city. And so I was living a little bit outside of the community. I was challenged, uh, my wife and I, to actually move in and relocate. And I remember that was a period of a bit of tears. Uh, but God was saying, do you love the city? How much do you want? Do you love the city? And, um, and so that's kind of a little bit of how uh, our journey uh, began is. So uh, Yeah, so like, uh, you know, everybody's love story has a little bit of a different thing. It wasn't love at first sight for me <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the city, but um, actually I fell in, um, in love with the diversity of the city. Being a biracial child uh, growing up in one of the most diverse communities in our city, um, both culturally and also socioeconomically, I, I just fell in love with the differences that that, that were being experienced in my community. And uh, once I fell in love with that, I found myself always serving and wanting to lead in those settings. And what better place to do it than the city? I really have no option because of how diverse our city of Toronto is. I really can't see myself serving in another place or context. Mm -hmm. Joel? So, uh, my parents immigrated to Canada in the late 60s from Italy and in the 70s there was a huge flood of immigration from, from, uh, from Italy and so I was born in Montreal so I've lived in three different cities in our nation, Montreal, Vancouver and, and uh, the GTA. And so um, growing up with parents who have English as a second language, growing up in the city with them. Uh, my dad pastored a church in Montreal for many years, a very diverse city. Um, and um, uh, he became a pretty influential uh, leader in the city. The Montreal Gazette uh, rated him uh, what top 10 influential leaders in the city back, back then. And uh, part of that was because of a radio program he launched and a TV program, again, reaching immigrants, new newcomers to Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, people started to get saved. And, uh, and uh, I remember one, one, one instance that really, really short. Um, a lady came to know Christ and there was hundreds of people coming to know Christ through this ministry. And uh, her husband was a mafia leader in the city. And so, of course, uh, if you're Italian, you're Catholic, right? And so you're not this weird cult, right, is what they called us. And so he uh, caught wind that his wife was being water baptized in a Pentecostal church. And so he needed to have a word with the minister, which happened to be my father. Mm. And he decided to have the word with him in the middle of his preaching on a Sunday morning wow. with about 800 people in the crowd. Wow. And he decided to come with a butcher knife. And he came down the aisle yelling, I'm going to kill you. No. What he didn't know was that in an Italian church was an Italian, lots of Italian ushers. <laughs> and so they're not afraid. And so they basically grabbed this guy somehow. And, but I remember as a kid watching all this happen. Fast forward years later, my dad felt, along with my mom, called to plant a church in Vancouver with about 12 people. 
right on East Hastings and Nanaimo. And if you know the city of Vancouver, that's, 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 it's not the safest place in the city, uh, but right in the heart of the city. And long story short, um, it was a Sunday night, I'm a little older by now, and I hear the door open of the auditorium, and I look back, and it's the same guy. Oh. So I'm thinking, we're done. <laughs> Service ends, my mom's freaking out. She's like telling my dad, just get out, let's go. And my, of course, my dad goes right into the back of the auditorium to speak to this guy. Turns out he's on the run because of some issues he had with his mafia friends. And so he left his family, left everything, and was living on the streets of Vancouver with nothing. And it was in that moment where I saw my dad lead this man to Christ, get him a job, get him in, in uh, English classes. And we, uh, we were church planners. And I remember living in the attic of the church at night, going and clean offices to make ends meet. But I would say that that was the beginning that God gave me a love for the city. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit of my story. Awesome. Jesse. All right. Um, I first came to the city as a student in 2003 from rural Muskoka. Um, I fully committed my life to Christ through a Bible study that was happening on my campus, um, which is, was actually being led by my now husband, John Knight. Mm -hmm. Um, who was a brand new believer at the time. And so my first experiences with urban ministry were actually on the campus and also on the streets of downtown because our friends used to go down every week with our Bible study group and students we were reaching on campus and we would hand out hot chocolate and befriend people who were homeless or street involved. And so we had just lots of great conversations out on the street and that really formed me and my spiritual convictions were very formed by my time um, as a student and on the street. I also started attending Christian Center as a student in 2006, and after about a year, I got married to John and we came on staff as outreach workers in what is now our church's nonprofit, Inner City Outreach. At the time, it wasn't called that yet, but uh, we were running after school programs and internship programs and things like that. Uh, my family now just lives down the street. I have two daughters who are 12 and 10, and they grew up here in the neighborhood. Actually, my youngest daughter was literally born in my house, down the street. I had a home birth, so she's like as Jane and Finch as they can come. <laughs> born right on the block. Um, for about 10 years, we've been running the student ministries here at Christian Center um, together. And so I've been blessed to have just a wide variety of urban ministry experiences. And actually, I was very fortunate as a young leader, even in my early 20s, to be able to experience a lot of different types of urban ministry with different age groups and different people groups, lots of different cultures. And so I got to try a lot of things, but my greatest passion has been reaching and discipling youth in our community. I love Jane and Finch, I love Christian Center. I wish that every hood in our city could have a Christian Center um, as part of it. Um, our church is a second home to many. Some of my youth are actually here in the room back there. Would you guys like to wave? Welcome guys, happy to have you. Um, Christian Center is really a second home to so many people. It's where a lot of people have their first jobs. It provides an alternative community uh, for our young people where they can come and they can have healing and support so that they can break down a lot of the stereotypes and statistics that are 
part of our neighborhood, they can break out of generational challenges that they face. And so I love Toronto. Let me give you a couple reasons. I won't take too much time. I love specifically our neighborhood. I love the random firework displays at every conceivable holiday. <laughs> Not put on by the government, just, you know, put on by the neighborhood. I love the busy playgrounds as soon as the weather's nice. I love that people play their music off their balconies. I love all the different foods from all the different cultures. I love good rap music. I say good rap music, it's not all good. I love that there's no mosquitoes here because in Muskoka you get eaten alive by the time the sun goes down. I love that the Raptors won a championship. Woo, go Raptors! Yeah. I love getting season passes to Wonderland. I love making basketball highlight reels for the youth so they feel awesome. And most of all, I just love watching diverse people come together, united through Christ and love for one another. I love seeing cycles be broken and watching people find freedom. Mm. So, yeah, Toronto has become my home. I almost lived here as long as I lived in my hometown I grew up in. And so, yeah, right. I love Toronto. I love Jane Finch. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Godfrey, I'm going to start with you with a second question. What are the greatest lessons you've learned about the city? Um, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like the, the, it, it's very different from, I grew up in Scarborough and uh, yeah, Scarborough represent East Side. Sorry guys. Oh, oh, maybe you don't want to start anything. But we notice the difference. Now we're right in the core. We're right uh, down at Young and Bloor. And uh, one of the things we realize is that the city just moves at a different speed, and the closer to the center of it you get, the faster it goes. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were, we were brought, this was brought to my attention actually by my kids. We were driving down to meet the congregation at Stone Church for the very first time, and my kids were looking out the windows, my two boys, and they said, Dad, why is everybody like rushing around? Why is everybody like, in a hurry to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's actually become known in our house as city speed. Like, and the city does have a speed. And, uh, and that speed is, you know, it, it, it's always exciting, there's always something happening, but it also leads to, and I, I don't want to get into the next question with challenges, but because people are in such a hurry and everything is moving so fast mm -hmm. and there's a transient sort of nature to things, it makes it really difficult to do things like build relationship mm -hmm. and establish discipleship. And so, um, you know, one of the lessons that I've kind of learned is look for different opportunities to slow things down in order to do what is really valuable in, in ministry. And again, it comes back to spending time and, and pouring into people. Mm -hmm. Excellent, Joel. I would say that, uh, I'm learning that you can't stop learning. Mm -hmm. it, it's just the moment you stop learning about urban ministry or sit, the city itself, you've already, you're already a step be, behind. You've got it just, it's so complex, it's so diverse in so many different ways. Uh, the complexities, the layers are just never end. So the moment you think you got some, then there's a whole other area that I hadn't even thought about. And so I think the attitude of learning and listening and watching and smelling and all the senses mm -hmm. I think is really really uh, important I think there because of the complexities I think that we can't I'm learning that there isn't the one model the the silver bullet mm -hmm. there's there needs to be a variety of ways to reach yeah. a variety of people 
And so I think sometimes we divide ourselves and we get really passionate about a model. Mm. And we've got to just be loose with those that we, we need all kinds of models because there's all kinds of complexities. Yeah. And so I just think learning is constant and it never ends. And let us not divide ourselves over which model we use. Mm -hmm. We just got to reach people and that's going to look different in so many different ways. So that would, that, that's what I would say. I agree. Um, I said a couple quick things. Uh, one, this, maybe this is more for our context, but I wrote down that true change is a long game, um, especially when it comes to generational poverty and generational challenges. Um, it's really a long game. A lot of, uh, our neighborhood is also super transient. People are always moving out. It's a landing spot for new immigrants. They try to get out as soon as they can. Families who can get out usually try to. Um, but for many people who that's not even an option for, it's consistency and just being there for a long time has been super important. A lot of our young people, especially, they have um, not a lot of stability when it comes to role models. The teacher turnover is high. Um, there's, you know, authority figures are in and out, in and out, um, always changing. And so there's many who learn that uh, adults are not stable. Mm -hmm. um, relationships will just be lost eventually. And so there's a, it takes a very long time to earn trust um, for people to say, okay, this person's worth me actually pouring my secrets and life and struggles out to because they're not just going to leave me after I've taken all this emotional effort to share with them. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, uh, we've learned that longevity has a lot of blessings. Mm -hmm. And one thing that's so special about being in somewhere for a really long time, because I think this is my 16th year since I first came to the neighborhood, um, is that you can see just some really beautiful things like kids that you reached when they were in middle school. For us, we have youth who were, we reached them when they were in middle school and now they're young adults and now they are the mentors of these guys in the back um, who, you know, then they are now living out the mission of what they saw and I, my prayer is that these young guys one day are going to stick around as well and they're going to grow and they're going to become uh, faithful leaders in our community who are going to raise up the next generation of leaders and so when you stick around for a really long time in one place you get to see really cool things like people grow up mm -hmm. and people take on what you've done and then copy that and so mm -hmm. yeah I would say just the the longevity and the, the long game being willing to stay in a place for a long time mm -hmm. and then I'll just quickly say this other thing which is just similar to what Joel said I think is that I've, I've realized just there's no way that one church can reach like a neighborhood. Like Christian Center is quite, it's pretty diverse, but it primarily reaches black families and black youth. And our neighborhood statistically only has about 30% black people. And so there's a whole other huge percentage of people groups in our neighborhood that we're not reaching and we're not targeting and maybe we're not actually meant to even. Um, and so it's going to take a lot of different people even to reach our neighborhood. Um, Christian Center is a hub or a very important centerpiece to the neighborhood, but not for everyone, not for every community. And so I, my hope is that we get more people who can reach different people groups in different pockets of the neighborhood. Good. Yeah, yeah the good, good stuff, Jesse. Um, yeah, I think I wanted to mention about the kind of uh, the speed, like you mentioned. Um, like I, uh, I said, uh, discipleship comes sometimes in three to four year sessions or seasons. So I think of uh, university students that come from York and they're only here for three or four years. Or the transient family, they have an up and out mentality, right? They land in this community and it's cheaper housing and then 
maybe not as much these days, and then they want to move out quickly. So you know, so so we've literally like our hearts have been broken. We've wept over families that we've or students we've poured our hearts into them, and we want to build a church on them. But then they're like, I have to go back to my home country, right? So. How do you disciple them? What do you do? So I had to readjust that, you know what? God has given me these people for this season. How can I disciple them in two to three years? And then maybe they're going to be sent off. And that's okay, right? Because it is one kingdom um, and we're not competing. So maybe just a whole diversity of approach. And it's just uh, uh, we need to all work together. And I think the other one, too, that I had was... Uh, that I've found is reputation Reputation in the urban core is very important. So I, I think of uh, the story that you told me, I'm gonna steal your story yesterday and then I'll share one of mine. Um, so they had a school that they had uh, just trust and they've been able to do outreach through that school. Well, along comes a random Christian group that's flyering, um, you know, just not being sensitive and so now the principal says, I don't want any, and it's, I think a lot of Muslim schools, kids go to that school, and the principal's like, I don't want any more churches, wow. all because somebody broke that trust and the reputation, um, but I'm sure you rebuild that. So for me, I um, had a, 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 when I was a youth pastor, I was running an after school program, and I had a um, mom, I had to basically evict a kid from the program, uh, I literally picked him up and put him outside very gently. While the mom, <laughs> the mom went with his plans to protect, say, that the man gently. Wow. He was, he was at the other person's throat. <laughs> so, the lesser of two years. Exactly. Okay, we had right. to separate him okay. and we were like, here, he can leave. And he was only nine or ten. So the mom came 30 minutes later and she just burst into the office. She's like, where's that pastor? And she literally came and she swung at me, this tough lady. Um, and so she swung at me. Thankfully, she missed. Um, but the long and short of the story is that, um, you know, uh, what happened was then there was some trauma in their family. Um, she and her son had stopped coming, but then she allowed us to come. We helped her to mourn, and and God just restored. And then it became this church is a church to go to, mm -hmm. and the reputation is restored, and others would come right because of because of her. So uh, it's a it's a village like the uh, lady was, mm -hmm. was saying, and everybody hears, everybody knows what you're doing. So you got to watch and you got to protect so that other people don't spoil the reputation and the fame of the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right, Joel, what's the hardest ministry challenge you see in the city? Well, the, you know, I would say, naturally, we would probably think uh, resources, it's very expensive, uh, real estate, uh, all of these, uh, the challenges that people are facing, uh, socioeconomic challenges, the racism, all of that stuff. but. I, I would say at the top that I just feel uh, is our biggest challenge is that the laborers are few. Mm -hmm. I think it, it, the harvest is plentiful, as Jesus said, but mm -hmm. the laborers are few. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when we as, as a district are thinking about it, dreaming, this is what the title is, dreaming, uh, are, is to plant Christ communities all throughout our city mm -hmm. in the Toronto proper, but to find <laughs> leaders like these amazing people mm -hmm. uh, is really hard. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And uh, for a variety of reasons, because it's going to mean getting out of our comfort zone. As a fellowship, I'll just speak in our context, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, we've become very good at suburban and rural ministry. But, and so we've left the city. And that's a, it's good that we're good at suburban and, and rural, but we need people who are called to go to the city yeah. as missionaries are called to go abroad. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that would be our primary challenge from my perspective is that the laborers are feeding. Okay, Jesse? Um, if you had asked me this when I first started as a pastor 10 years ago or so, I probably would have said maybe something like gun violence or um, something related to that. But actually I would say the mental health crisis is the biggest challenge that I'm seeing now. Um, in our context where it's low income neighborhoods, there's even extra maybe barriers um, for the mental health crisis. One, there's still many families that come from different cultures that don't acknowledge mental health as a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so there's many young people saying, I need help, but my, I can't tell my parents I need counseling. Yeah. Um, funding, of course, is yeah. always forever going to be an issue for low-income people, especially low-income youth um, who maybe are doing this not even with the support of their family. Um, and then also just access to counselors that represent the youth. So a lot of our youth are looking for counselors that are black or brown, and they don't have as many of them, or it's not where we can partner with them financially um, to have it subsidized. So we have access issues on multiple levels, um, personnel, funding, and also parental support. And so the mental health crisis is connected to gang violence, and it's connected to um, these different other issues that we have. And so we have all these young people who just are falling apart. They have so much childhood trauma. They have um, very difficult home lives. And we need to get them counseling. And so our church has started fundraising. We have something called Project Impact, which part of it is fundraising for youth counseling. But we're trying to also partner with other organizations to get access to especially a diverse range of counselors. Um, so yeah, mental health crisis for sure. OK. Olu. Uh, so I would say a couple of things. So uh, walking in solidarity with other churches and ministries, mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest thing. We are a village, but yet um, everyone's trying to do their own thing. So in the city, it's so hard to work with other ministries. I think uh, because a lot of ministries and churches, they have a block mentality. This is my block. I'm going to you know, safeguard it and push your way, sometimes for good reasons, like the story we just told, right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, it's, just a, it's just a challenge. And uh, but to be effective in the city, uh, it's it's like it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You have to have a block mentality. You have to know your neighborhood because this area is different from that area. So mm -hmm. we have to be specialists of our area. Mm -hmm. So it's inherent in the the necessities of our ministries that we have a block mentality, but yet it hinders us from walking together and mm -hmm. and uh, um, and gaining from the other. Uh, so we need to find a way to bridge that gap because other ministries have good things and this is why this conference is good, right? That we can network. I think also um, part of the challenge is that uh, I, I see ministries that come into the community and they have more of a short-term agenda or even into the city. Uh, they want to plant a church, which is great, um, but they're not necessarily thinking of the way the city moves and flexes and the fact that you need to you know, it's like some of these businesses that say before you can uh, launch a franchise, you have to live in that city. 
you need to take time to know that. So just having a short-term agenda mentality um, is really hindering uh, the city uh, as opposed to having a, a stickability, like when we moved into, into this part of the city, having that, that allowed us to have that stickability because we understood what was going on in the, in the, in the area. So I think uh, that's sort of what I sure. Yeah, oh, excellent. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll go back to people again. Uh, one of the challenges with working with uh, people that we've been experiencing is, again, just the transient nature, right? And so it informs our models of ministry. It informs how we, the new learning that we have to do. It's kind of uh, a thing that comes together at our, uh, at our Davenport uh, campus. Uh, we've been able to assess through relationships with the schools and with families there that in a 10-year period, there's a 95% turnover in uh, families with kids. 95%. And so that means that you're constantly going. So any conventional sort of, hey, we're going to have kids ministry, and then our kids ministry is going to become a youth ministry, and then our youth ministry is going to become a young adult ministry, that doesn't exist in the core of the city and in many other communities as well. And so it's trying to find out, again, how we can give, um, you know, how we can get the discipleship and and uh, get people on the right path or what contribute what we can to their journey as quickly as we can and send them off to whatever's next for them and so that's been a hard challenge but it keeps us you know on our toes and looking um, for for ways to work with other groups and and to do things a little differently all right two more panel questions and we'll open it up so think about what you want to ask them uh, Jesse, what is the greatest surprise you discovered about ministry in the city? Um, okay, I had trouble coming up with this, but this is what I this is what I ended up writing down. I think I'm surprised by how many people think they can't do urban ministry. Okay. I don't know if anyone else is going to agree with this, but I feel like if I had like five dollars for every time somebody said the phrase, "Oh, I could never do that," like I would probably could put my kids through college so like <laughs> um maybe like just i'm sometimes surprised by the reluctance like i do get it there's practical challenges the city's very expensive um urban ministry can be very difficult but ministry everywhere is difficult mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i don't really think it's that different but my response to that phrase of i could never live in jane and finch or i could never um you know be, i'm not a city person i could never live in the city is like of course you can um i'm from like the country like <laughs> I'm from the country, and I came here and I work with urban youth in our neighborhood, and like, it's it's not been a thing. So, not to say that I, I mean, I came here ignorant, and I came here and made lots of silly cultural mistakes when I first came, but I loved, and I listened, and I learned, and I'm still learning, and we can all do whatever God calls us to do. So, I mean, I think that we, and maybe this is not relevant to people in this room, but maybe it is. I just think we need to have more faith in God when he calls us to do something or be more open-hearted about what he might call us to do. I say this about foreign missions and things as well, is that of course you can, of course you can do it. You come and you just trust that God will help you. Love removes all kinds of barriers. Anyone who has a heart for people and a passion for the gospel and who can just have a humble spirit to listen and learn, can minister anywhere, and you just have to be humble. And so I think it's a lie of the enemy to tell people mm. that it's too hard or I won't be able to relate to people. 
or you know whatever the next thing is um, at the end of the day I think we just can't believe lies that are mostly rooted in fear and fantasy as well and maybe the media even that's not always accurate um, Jane and Finch for example is a beautiful neighborhood it's largely safe to be here when I moved to the neighborhood my, my mom cried and said how will I visit you my relatives when they came to my wedding 50 or 15 years ago said can we park our car in your parking lot will people shoot it like just it's it's based in fear and fantasy and so yeah I I just want to say that it's it's not like everything is always built up in our minds and it's probably not how it really is <laughs> so you can definitely move here you won't get shot you can have your family come visit you it'll be fine <laughs> it'll really be fine <laughs> I do have some funny stories and have seen some funny things but for the most part it's it's a beautiful place and so yeah don't let go, don't let the enemy close hmm. doors that are meant to be opened out of fear you see that low-key call to move in? Greatest surprise. It's it's. I think this uh, phrase, the common good, uh, was came to mind, and that uh, like I was having lunch with uh, um, director of the uh, city uh, recreation center uh, a few years back, and as we were having lunch, just encouraging her, and she was encouraging me, and she's not a Christian. And uh, I just found out that there's so much commonalities between what we do. And she cares for the city, she cares for the community, she cares, I was a youth pastor then, uh, she cares for the kids, like I, in fact, we had similar kids that we're both serving. And I'm like confused, and, and then God's like, look, that's a Cyrus, I can use non-Christians. Yeah. And so just this idea that God is not only using Christians mm. to change the city. Mm. It's like, hello. Um, and so I'm called to partner with these people. And if you look at Jesus, when he called people to be in the kingdom of God, um, it was a process, right? And so as we build relationships, uh, people can participate in the kingdom of God even if they haven't met the king mm -hmm. by doing the common good, by mm -hmm. helping. And so, so just having a more of an expansive partnership uh, sort of philosophy has helped me. And there's a lady that I'm kind of discipling where she's a small business owner and she would text me, can you pray for me? She's been generous to the ministry, but she doesn't know Jesus. Why do you do good? Because it makes me feel good. Well, let me slip her a book, let me share. But it's just that idea that God uses people as he's, as he's calling them into his kingdom and they may not even be Christian. So that's been a huge surprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it, I'm gonna just jump right on, on yeah. that because the biggest surprise uh, for me, especially again, being downtown, city speed, the whole thing, is that people actually want better communities. They're looking for community, mm -hmm. they're willing to invest, even if they're not a part of the church. Mm -hmm. The people that and the organizations that I'm talking to, as long as they see that you're looking out for the community, they're more than willing to, to work with you and to, to see that happen. And to be quite honest, I was surprised by that. I just felt like it's gonna be just us working and everybody else in the community doesn't uh, does it, doesn't want to or or is worried about their own thing or agenda but once again they see you as a community you you've got a you know you you've got an open invitation to dialogue at least and we'll see if we get you know we have different degrees of collaboration with different uh, entities but yeah yeah o overall that was that was very uh, surprising to, okay. to me and Joel. Uh, <clears throat> Maybe this shouldn't have surprised me, so maybe it says something more about me than anything, but um, just the, the, the spiritual warfare for mm -hmm. our city, mm -hmm. for our cities, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, 75% of the Canadian population live in cities. So if our nation is going to change, the chances are that the city is going to have to get impacted, mm-hmm. right? And so with that reality comes a massive spiritual battle that we're going to come up against. I'll give you two examples. We've been, I've been just kind of spending time just praying, going on prayer walks in our city. And uh, there's one particular area where I just feel led. We've been going there often, praying. And as part of the day, we'll, we'll stop and have lunch at a specific diner in this area. And so we've been building relationship there with the owner of the restaurant. And uh, so as we've had conversations, she then asks, what do you do? And so the, the moment that came out, uh, there was a whole different tone. Uh, and here's a lady who came from a rural setting who attended a Pentecostal church who was demonized mm-hmm. because of mental health challenges she was going through. And now here she is in the city encountering somebody who represents those people. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wall just went boom right up to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, hours later, we walk into, because we're, we're looking for space to just add value to the community and commercial space and so on so we we get connected to the 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 main brokerage that does commercial real estate in that area and again the moment he found out who we were he literally hung up the phone Hmm. and so i just my surprise is this is that we're not starting from zero we're starting from minus 10 in many cases Mm. and so um they're not the enemy. Yeah. They're not our enemy. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. But we, we are fighting against principalities mm-hmm. that are holding people from coming into a knowledge of Christ. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Last question, starting with Olu again. If you can imagine what the landscape of, men, of ministry looks like in the city of Toronto 10 years from now, what would you like to see? I like to see a, a practical one. I like to see affordable housing. Uh, it's such a huge need. I think it's like the mental health crisis. It's maybe the second need. People in Toronto need affordable housing because if you can't live, that's a mental health crisis. And um, you know, I think I think churches need to. I love I love to see churches lean into this because I think many of us as, as churches we're like, what can we do? How can we help? Uh, we can't do anything, right? It's you know big developers and, and all that. But I think of our, our church, there's three families right now that I can think of that the, through maybe partnerships, uh, we've been able to provide them affordable housing uh, through uh, one, one person owns an apartment building, they're Christian, and so we had a connection and another real estate developer, uh, lower rents. And so I think churches can lean into this space and pray and ask God, what can we do about this crisis? So I'd love to see, I'd love to see that in, in the city of uh, Toronto. Um, also, I think another one, more ministry, like spiritual, more spiritual in nature, I guess, uh, maybe churches in the city, because there's diversity of people, uh, can think of different ways to have church. So our church is traditional, yeah. right? Um, but they're, like my neighbor, I invited them to church, they're Caucasian, they're in their 70s, 
Uh, they love me, they love my family, they've been home for, my, for dinner, I've been over to their house, but I bring them to church here and they don't fit in. Uh, so I'm thinking, maybe I should start a little small church in my house, right? <laughs> and my neighbors can come. So I, and of course we have pocket churches, we have little house churches, you know, little groups all over the, the place. But what if a traditional church had an, had an alternative outlet where it's still um, sort of official, a little part of the church, and they support that. They, they support missionaries from their church to do that. Um, I think we will reach more people together mm -hmm. and better. Mm -hmm. All right, Godfrey. Yeah, for, for me, um, I'm just really big on, on uh, collaboration, working together, different models of ministry. Um, I, I just envision a place that looks very different, that isn't so tied to our structures, but actually keeps the main thing the main thing, which is making more disciples of Jesus that make more disciples. So whether that's through Olu having, you know, a house at his, you know, church, doing church here this way and church that way. Uh, but again, I, I want to see us working, uh, you know, working, working together and, uh, and, and being able to encourage and share uh, resources and share uh, philosophies of ministry, share just the things. So just, again, more, yeah. Just maybe it'll look a very different than what it looks like now, where we're all in our buildings doing a more conventional thing. All right, Joel. Uh, man, I would love to see uh, more Christ communities. So I, I'm not using the word church because sometimes when we hear church, we just think of a building like this, yeah. like mm -hmm. these guys just said. Mm -hmm. So just Christ communities that are incarnationally in the city, Toronto proper. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see 10 more of those. Maybe that's a, a too big of a dream or too small of a dream. But I just, we, we too small. Too small. Too small. <laughs> 10 years. In 10 years. From 10 years. 10, okay, so, uh, so, so, yeah. Uh, I just want to, especially in those wards where we've got wards of 145,000 people, no church. No church. So one ward in Toronto, we've got no gospel. And, and people choose uh, where they want to live. There's a sense of, there's some areas that are very transient, but then there's others that the people are very community-centric. They want to live yeah. there, they want to uh, go to the grocery store there, they want to eat there, they, they've chosen that, they want to raise their kids there. And so that's great for church planning. Uh, so so I, I just would love to see that. I would also love to see that, as a, I'll just speak from a fellowship standpoint, that we would not look at churches that are monoethnic, that are non-English speaking, as just cultural <clears throat> churches. They are our churches. Mm -hmm. And God has called them here Amen. to reach thousands of people in their own language. Mm -hmm. And with the increase of immigration, four or 500,000 a year, which is what they're mm -hmm. saying the government is, we actually, we need to actually find pastors and leaders from other parts and recruit them to come to our land to reach those people. And so um, I just feel like sometimes we put them in a secondary class, they are primary. That's what I would love to see. Jesse, in around two minutes. Yeah, I pretty much like would agree with what's being said. I think that um, to reach the city, we're going to have to be smaller and more specific and more creative. And so I just would love to see us funding 
out of the box pioneering type people to do that deep relational work to break into new communities that might not be served well in the traditional models. Um, I, I mean, there's often there could be people who maybe they don't fit the traditional ministry box of that they can preach really well or that they can run an organization. Like it takes a lot these days to be a pastor, like the skill set you need. It just keeps climbing. Like mm -hmm. you have to be able to run an organization, sometimes mm -hmm. multiple organizations within one organization in order to be a minister. Like there's got to be people out there where we can make it like not so hard mm -hmm. to minister. And so yeah. if we could fund somehow people, whether they're bivocational or just we fully fund them to just go be themselves, but they're super relational and they can crack into these communities. Yeah. Like if we could find ways to get those people resourced, um, it would be amazing. Like my dream would be for my personal dream is to see like a, a revival or just like a move of God within like the gang culture of our community. If there could be like a young guy, maybe he didn't even come up in the gang life, but he he has that just cultural ability to just have like people listen to him and be influential and we could just like find that person to just go sit in people's living rooms and play xbox and 2k with them and they're you know there's just people maybe out of the box ways that we could find people who could be influential but they don't fit that typical pastoral mold mm -hmm. and the last thing i'll just say is i really want us as a fellowship to platform more small ministries, mm. um, not just like big American churches that are doing really, really big things. Like there's lots of grassroots ministries. I just feel like don't get enough spotlight. And mm -hmm. so I think we need to like really reward innovation, risk taking, and people who are willing to do pioneering things um, more awesome. often in our fellowship. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, give a round of So we've got a few minutes, so we want to throw it open to any questions that you may have. So um, if you've got a question, just put up your hand and I'll point at you and then now uh, you can ask the question. No questions at all? You were so good, we answered all the questions. I guess so. <laughs> um, oh, question. There's a question. Um, thank you for sharing your dreams uh, for the city. Um, when you think of the uh, some of the dreams that you have, things that you would like to see happen in the city, have you seen models or communities outside of Toronto, even outside of Canada, who are actually modeling what, what you're envisioning? To, to different degrees, um, you know, a, a lot of times we're, you know, again, to, to go back to Jesse's, a lot of times we look to the south you know, for different models and different things that, that come. And, and one of the things that I, I kind of like the concept behind, uh, if you've ever um, read the book, or I would recommend the book, and I can't remember the author right now, so I apologize, it's called The Underground. And, and that is a concept where it's being lived out in Florida, but it was actually birthed in the Philippines about what church could look like. They actually went on a trip to the Philippines looked at what was happening there in Asia and then brought back some of the principles were inspired. And the whole thing is about a, uh, um, you know, a church, you know, as organizationally being kind of a hub for all sorts of entrepreneurial ways of reaching the city and working in, in different ways. And so that's, that's one, you know, that I like the, the concept behind. Uh, the, the other thing I, I, I was, I was going to say before, but I, again, 
I, I know everybody's in different backgrounds and stuff, and this word means different things to different people, but I think the church has to get back to being apostolic. It, it has to get back to pushing boundaries. It has to get back to identifying what's good for the kingdom, not what's just good for your organization or your expression. And, and I believe, like, again, not that, you know, we want people walking around calling themselves apostles, but we want all of the, the sort of the functioning of that where, where, where we can look and, and see, so Jesse can walk by and see the giftings that might be non-traditional giftings in people and then be able to just select them out and say, okay, I've identified this person, this is, the, this is where they're gonna be reached, let's resource them, let's help them, let's do that. And just doing that on a broad set uh, across denominational lines, across uh, church, church lines. So anyway, going back to the thing, so underground in terms of that, I'm sorry, I can't remember the author, uh, um, you can look it up, they're doing some incredible things, is one sort of model that I think could 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 be helpful. Um, okay. <laughs> anyway, does somebody else have something else that they want to? If I could just uh, uh, respond to, to Jess's uh, comment, Jesse's comment. Uh, I'm Kevin Rogers with Mission Canada. This is the director over here, Brian Eggert. Uh, Anna Morgante is one of our workers. EJ Tupe. Everybody knows EJ, yeah. uh, but uh, Mission Canada is is completely immersed in the idea of doing those experimental kinds of ministries. And uh, so, just a quick little plug in case you're thinking, I'd love to do something for God. I just don't think I could work in a church. Yeah. Any other responses from the pastors about Well, I think in terms of models, there's so many great models, like you mentioned, books and stuff in, in the States as well. I think my my thing is just also being careful, like what we bring back, you know, mm -hmm. work in this context. But yeah, I've seen models about some of the stuff that I suggested and so experimenting a little bit here and there. Yeah. But in terms of resources, uh, there's a few I can think of. Don't remember the names of the titles right now. Any other ten minutes? Okay. Yeah, I've got a question. Uh, in what ways do um, pastors and those in top leadership need to change to be able to, you know, empower people, enable people? Because I think if stuff's not happening, sometimes it's because get in the way. Pastors and leaders get in the way. So what are like one or two things that today's pastor needs to be thinking about to get things going, especially for a time when perhaps we won't have enough pastors anymore to go around for churches? Anybody? The, the thought that comes to my mind would be Acts 20, 22 to 24, where Paul was compelled by the Spirit of God. Mm, there you go. The word compelled there is, is, I'm in chains. I'm irresistibly aroused. I can't help myself but to go to Jerusalem. Not knowing what awaits me there, the only thing I do know is that the Spirit is warning me that imprisonment and hardship await me. 
but I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I can testify of God's grace in my life. I just think that over time, uh, all of us are susceptible to getting professional instead of compelled. And I think when we become professionals and lose the calling that's deeply in our soul, uh, our ministries are functioning, but might not be hearing and listening to what the Spirit would have to say to the church. And so I, I would just say just this deep spiritual vitality in the life of our leaders and pastors needs to be red hot, especially if you're going to be in the city. Yeah. And so I would say that's massive. Yeah, you you, you got to hear from the Lord, yeah. right? And and so there's this call. Sometimes we feel like the calling is this big thing, and I've oh I've answered the call, but it's actually a bunch of little things where I need a I, I need to hear your voice in regards to this. I've got this challenge. I need to hear your voice. And, and again, it's something that strategy can can you know I, I love strategy. I love being able to to to. Uh, line things up, but again, the call of God and hearing from the Lord regularly—that's that's got to be a part of 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 where we of where we go. Uh, just want to also throw. We were talking about this yesterday at uh, dinner um, at a very interesting place, and um, we were talking about how, like in both our churches, we we kind of do shared preaching, and so I, I think that's just a little example where. It's like I don't preach every Sunday, but essentially the, the point there is just pa uh, pastors have to give power away and delegate as well as, as part of discipleship. So if you're discipling your team, um, you're giving them actual power. And, and so then also they're creating, so not just in speaking, but also in trying things, leading ministries. Um, but it just shows that your DNA, I think speaking is the ultimate sort of holy grail, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're able to share that, it means you're probably sharing more things. Mm -hmm. And so that allows for their creativity and diversity because I don't know everything, you don't know everything. And so let's see what you know. And some, some, sometimes we have to get out of our own way, mm -hmm. which also includes um, maybe, uh, you know, being called to go to another ministry sometimes. and. Or sorry, I would say succession planning, mm -hmm. where um, I mean, not like I had the conversation with my team. I was like, you know, I'm not going to be here forever, uh, you know. So like, I want to make sure you guys know how to run the church without me, you know. And they're like, you're scared of me. I'm like, no, like we should always talk about this this way, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. One last question. In an environment where innovation can often breed discomfort. How would you as leaders handle somebody who does have a way of doing ministry that is outside of the norm without feeling the discomfort of it? So I, yes, I'm just going to Yeah, well, I think that you've got to be comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's ultimately, right? Like, what we need to become is, and we need to help Again, our people, because a lot of times a leader, and what I'm finding in terms of my generation of leader, is that we're open. We're more open than we've ever been before. The people that are coming after us are even more open than we are. 
but it, a lot of times it's our people, the, the people who are the stakeholders that we're afraid to ruffle feathers, right? And so that involves some conversations with your board sometimes that are uncomfortable. But letting people know that this is the reason why we're doing things the way that we are. But again, like not that we use it as, you know, it's not spiritual manipulation. You don't want to say, I heard from the Lord, this is why we have to do it this way. But you need to be fully convinced that you've heard from the Lord so that you can have those tough conversations and that you're willing to go through the discomfort. And, you know, we, we said this to our, our church family several times during the pandemic, is that we're going to inconvenience ourselves so that we can make other people comfortable, right? You may want to do this. You may think this is the best way to do it or that way, but this is what we're going to do it. And we understand it's inconvenient. We understand that you don't like it, but how much do you love people and want to see them be able to come into an environment that they would have been excluded from if, if that didn't happen. So I don't know if I answered your question, uh, and, Denise, and, but. Yeah, so it's very much along those lines of in where we need Barnabas's to actually be on for some pulse, right? Yeah. Some people to go ahead of us and say, I believe in the ministry that this person has or does. And in this room, there may be tons of people whose dreams and visions don't align with our are under our natural understanding of church mm. how do we lend our influence as leaders and pastors to make room for ministries that don't yet exist that are not the way we would do it mm. and i think that's that's the question that 10 years yeah. down the road will we have or will we not have done that yeah it, it's it's a it's a great it's a great thing and what i've learned just kind of again stone stone church is is a very uh when i came three years ago it's very traditional church uh it had the same service the same service time for 30 years right like it was bam. so when i started changing service times and i started doing those things that those those were some uncomfortable moments but what i also found is that a lot of times we want we envision what we want it to look like but I've realized that we can't just start doing everything in a new way. But what you do is you is you keep you just slowly move people along and you cater to the people that you have. Because I think that as a pastor, right, oftentimes we want to win new people and we'll do anything to win new people, but you're also entrusted with the people that you have. And so trying to figure out how do we care for the people that the Lord already has given us and that are in our churches, but then how do we push something new in order to reach new people that we aren't currently reaching? And it's a it's a balancing act that I don't think that we could ever get right, but we, we do that. Whereas when I was a young person, blow it all up, let's start again, we gotta start from the, and, and that's just not realistic. In terms of where I sit, right? In terms of it. Some of you are in the blow-up stage. You're like, just, ah, come on, help me light the fuse. We're going to blow, you know, but. Well, you can empower the people who will blow it up, though. Because yeah, established churches have resources. We have all kinds of things that we can share. And exactly. Instead of just making another version of ourselves all over the place, which I'm not necessarily knocking certain models that might work if you're trying to reach the same type of person in a bunch of places. Mm -hmm. But if you're established, you're well, you can resource other things. And it's just, we have to start so being good. more risky. Because sometimes, yeah, you might give money to someone and it doesn't work out and you feel like you blew the money. And I hate wasting money, but at the end of the day, if you keep doing the same thing, 
and you don't take any risks and you don't risk on people, then you end up in the same place. So we have yeah. to be more risky. We have to have established churches say, you know what, I'm going to give some, instead of expanding my own thing, I'm doing more. Let's try giving it to someone else who's willing to go to a different people group or do something yeah. different. We just yeah. need to be more risky. Lose. That's the adventure of the Christian life is to risk right. and to go and to pioneer. And if you just you know, sometimes, yeah, you got to deal with what you already have going on and established, but there are young people and there are older people even willing to blow it up, so let's fund them. Let's make sure that that's taken in context. <laughs> <laughs> I can just hear a thing. Now we're going to blow it all up. That was great. What a, what a bunch of um, uh, cutting edge, uh, that's a word that sometimes gets overused, but uh, people who are on the lead, on the forefront of urban ministry in the Toronto area, and uh, so many great people. Well, on our next episode, I'm going to be uh, leaving the Our City Toronto Conference and uh, going back to doing some interviews. Uh, I'm going to be talking to John Massamy. John uh, is uh, serving as an Anglican priest in Kitchener, uh, also works with uh, community agencies, has worked uh, for many years uh, doing um, asset-based community development, and uh, he's uh, going to uh, share some insights from uh, how that interacts uh, with uh, faith base. So come on back uh, and hear John Massamy on our next episode. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. You've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Have a great day.